the age of 16, I had a front row seat uh, to see what hate for one another can do to a church. From my earliest memories, First Baptist Church in Morse, Oklahoma was one of the consistent pillars in my life. Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning service, Sunday evening training union, another service, Wednesday night Awana, and another service, Saturday visitation for bus ministry, and then orchestra practice where I play my trumpet with some of my friends for the Sunday morning service that would follow. Uh, most weeks uh, I would find myself climbing under pews as a kid or finding every nook and cranny some night of that week while my mom was practicing with some of the other ladies every year was a vacation Bible school and a whole host of other events. And as you can imagine, through those years, it took an army of people uh, to teach me and the others, uh, probably an army just to teach me. Uh, but I think of some of those sweet names and some of those sweet memories. I think of Miss Lady. I think of Miss Kelly, Miss Tucker, Miss Vaughn, David Dixon, uh, Scott Wolf, David Kelly, my own dad, who was a Sunday school teacher for me for a couple of my years while I was in high school. Uh, I think of those pastors who administered there. And so, so at the age of 16, my youth director had recently been let go, fired from the church, um, probably out of jealousy uh, by the pastor and others in the congregation. We were just wrapping up a building project, and during those business meetings, many of those people who had helped to teach me and encourage me to memorize a verse, a commandment, to love one another, they were yelling at each other. Across the auditorium, they were making accusations against each other in the middle of a business meeting. And that's probably the best of it, because in time I would find out that there were all sorts of secret meetings that were happening where plots were uh, being made to get rid of this particular person or run this family off or this individual. Many phone calls that were happening trying to work behind the scenes. Hate is what I saw and hate is what I experienced. Hate is what would lead to the, the formation of another church in a very small town in Oklahoma. Hate is what would begin to define our church when they thought of First Baptist. It was, oh, those are the people who, who fight. Those are the people who can't get along. Hate divided and destroyed many lives, including many of my peers at the time who walked out the doors of the church and never looked back. And probably for most of them haven't walked back in another church because of what they experienced in those formative years of their lives. And my experience is not unique. Many of you in this room have experienced the destructive power of hate. You've been a part of churches where hate has destroyed the church. You've been a part of marriages where hate has destroyed a marriage. You've been a part of friendships where hate has destroyed a friendship. Well, today along with John, we are going to tackle our fight against hate and our fight for love. Remember, one of the reasons that John is actually writing is so that we might avoid sin. He's up front with this as we move into chapter 2. And just last Sunday, we learned that knowing Jesus and abiding in Jesus results in us keeping His commandments. 
If we know Him, if we are abiding in Him, if we love Him, we keep His commandments. This week, John focuses in on what has probably been a particular issue in the churches of his day. And as I just illustrated, it continues to be an issue in our day. Hate that was dividing the church of Jesus Christ. A failure to love one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And sometimes it's hard. But God, I'm thankful for this congregation who, who's not afraid of that. And so today, as we just sang, you, you have broken every chain. There is salvation in your name. I pray that you would use your word to rid our hearts of hate. To graciously cultivate genuine and sincere love for one another. We pray that you would do this miraculous work that is only possible because of Christ, because of your love for us. Work in us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin by considering the old commandment made new. What is the old commandment John is referencing as he begins this section? When we drop down to verses 9 and 10, we see what John is calling the old commandment is what Jesus called the new commandment, the commandment to love one another. In the upper room, shortly after washing the disciples' feet, Jesus made this announcement, a new commandment, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Set with that for a moment. Let that soak in for a moment. We are to love in the same way that Jesus loves. The same way that He's loved us. How has Jesus loved us? What goodness, what kindness. What compassion has Jesus shown to us? What patience, what forbearance, what forgiveness do we know in our Savior Jesus Christ? Love that way. Love one another that way, he says. And this love that we are to have for one another for each other, it proves that we are His disciples. This is what we're to be known for. The love that we have for one another. Our love is the proof that we know Him. Our love is the proof that we're abiding in Him. John is tying all of these things together for us. The roots of this command to love one another run deep. 
They run deeply into the Old Testament. The connection could easily be made with Leviticus 19.18 where the law says you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, against your people, the one another's in your life, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. Listen to me. So many of the laws recorded in Exodus and Leviticus are the practical outworking of how we are to love one another. Commands like if you accidentally kill your neighbor's donkey, the loving thing to do is to replace that donkey, and so on and so forth as we understand the commands given. And so back in 1 John 2, let's talk about this word that is used, this word for love. It is agape, a word that many of you are familiar with. You've heard that. This word is used in some form or another 320 times throughout the New Testament. And that is significant. That is important. It means that we need to understand this word. Let me start with this description given by Stephen Smalley. Here's what he says. The the biblical concept of love or agape is distinctive. It's distinctive. In as far as it is associated with a God who enters into a covenant relationship with his people and maintains it with undeserved, steadfast love. In order for us to understand the distinctiveness of what we mean and what John means and what Jesus means by love one another, we have to understand the nature of our God. We have to understand His faithfulness to us. It's that word, hesed. Even when we quit on Him, He never even considers for a moment to quit on us. He remains faithful, loyal in his love to you and to me. And so then agape love is is this sacrificial love that would compel the Father to send the Son. It is a love that compels Jesus to, to serve lepers. To, to feed the hungry and to, to minister to the grieving and the addicted. And then ultimately it's this agape love that compels him to lay down his own life as our substitute. The most simplistic definition I've embraced is this. Agape is you before me. It's you before me. In this way, agape is humble. It's sacrificing. It is faithful. And it is spectacularly divine. Partakers of the divine nature is what Peter says we have become. Agape is the love that we know because of Jesus. And so so John's point here is that agape is the love that we are to show because of Jesus. John's statement about the old and the new here in verses 7 and 8 can be quite confusing. (laughs) What does he mean when he says, at the same time, the old commandment, well, it's a new commandment. What is he getting at? I'm going to let Danny Aiken carry the water to begin this. He says this, In Christ, the command to love one another is strengthened 
It is deepened, it is expanded, and given a depth of meaning and understanding that have never seen before His coming in the Incarnation. In other words, the commandment's newness is not found in updated wording or some, some, some better translation of it for our language, rather in the illustration of the love that is described in the expression that we see right there in verse 8. Here's what it says, which is true in Him. How is this old commandment that really roots itself in the Old Testament, how is this new to us? It's rooted in Jesus. It's true in Jesus. The old commandment is now in technicolor because of the incarnation of Jesus. Most of us grew up with color television. I say most of us. Some of you are like, not me. One of my favorite shows is, is Andy Griffith. And uh, you know the first several seasons of Andy Griffith's show, Black and White. And I remember, I don't remember which one of our kids, but they would, they would say, I don't like these gray shows. Like, they, they didn't like that at all. I like some of those gray shows. But I have to imagine what it would be like to be in the theater one of those first showings of the Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz wasn't the first color movie, but, but it was one of the first color movies. And if you are familiar, I hope you're familiar with the Wizard of Oz, but it starts off in black and white. And, and everything's happening. And then when the door opens into this new world of Oz, everything is in brilliant color. That's what John's getting at. That's what he's trying to help us understand. That's the point that he makes. This old commandment has taken on new life, real, enfleshed life when Jesus enters into the world. It's not just words on a page anymore for us to look at and examine. Every word from his mouth, everything that Jesus said, every interaction that he had with people is this commandment. Come alive, love one another. And it's because of Jesus' life and death illustrates this meaning of the commandment to love that we, we find instructions in the Scriptures like this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. His love for us illustrates the way you're to love your spouse. Or shepherds love the church in the same way that Christ loves the church. You are, to, you, you are to shepherd the flock with this same love and compassion. Well, second, let's consider this, the difference between hate and love. The difference between hate and love. According to verses 9 and 11, to hate is to walk in the darkness. Notice what it says in verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. And walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now before we consider the warnings provided, let's define hate. John doesn't give us a lot of help here. He doesn't give us really any illustration. He doesn't provide an example or an expression in this passage. Later, he talks about the hate that drove Cain to murder his brother, Abel. The resentment that was there. He talks about the hate that, that causes a person to close their heart to somebody who is suffering. In chapter 3, both of those are in chapter 3 of this same letter. 
Some argue that John is, is referencing in here something they would already know because there was a lot of hate going on in the church. People hated John. They hated the people who were affiliated with John because the false teachers were taking the church a different direction. We all have our own ideas and experiences of what hate looks like, don't we? We've all been hated. But for now, let's just agree to understand hate is anything that is not love. Hate is anything that is not love. But I want you to notice the severity of John's warnings to those who continue in their hate towards their brothers and sisters in Christ. Four things that are true of a hate-filled person. The first thing he says is this. You are in darkness. You are spiritually dead. You are in the darkness. If God is light and he is life, the life is in the light of God and you are in the darkness, it means you are separated from him, his light, and therefore you are separated from his life and you are dead. Second, if you walk, you walk or you live in the darkness, you are not walking in the light with Jesus, rather you are engulfed in the darkness with the prince of darkness. You're not following our Savior Jesus Christ, you're following Satan in his ways. Third, you do not know where you are going. As some have suggested, in their hatred, all they see is red. You ever heard somebody say that? Man, all I could see was just red. What, what's being said here is, is hatred is behind the wheel, and you are just along for the ride. You don't know where it will take you. You don't have control of where it will take you. Though you may have deceived yourself in your mind and think, yeah, I, I can control this, you're not in the driver's seat anymore. You do not know where you are going. Inigo Montoya is one of my favorite characters from The Princess Bride. He has a lot of famous lines, at least according to me in that movie. Uh, obviously, my name is Amigo Montoya. You kill my father, prepare to die. Um, one of my other favorites is, uh, you keep using that word, I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> I use that a lot. But really, my favorite part is at the very end of the movie. They're about to jump out the window onto the white horses and ride off as the sun rises. And he looks at Wesley and he says, it's very strange. He says, I've, I've been in the revenge business for so long now. Now that it's over, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. Isn't that a fascinating insight to revenge and anger and hate? It's all he had thought about. It's all that had controlled him, and now he had no objective, no purpose. When people in habitual sin come into the light, they come to their senses they're often shocked at how far they've strayed. They're often shocked at, at how much they've lost and how many people they've hurt along the way. They didn't realize it in the darkness. They were just along for the ride. 
That's what hate does. It controls. It drives. And finally, he says, fourthly, most damning, you're blind. Hate and other habitual sins, they blind us. The African spitting cobra, it shoots a stream of blinding venom into the eyes of its prey. And from there, without the ability to see, it can strike at will. Unchecked hate, other habitual sins, they leave us blind to the danger of eternal damnation. We can't see that we're being drugged into hell. The warning you need to heed is this. Hate isn't just one aspect of your life. According to John, it is your life. We, we believe that we can compartmentalize and quarantine these things away. Well, I, I just keep this hate for this person over here and it will have no effect on these other areas of my life. You are deceived. It will. It already has. You're just not in control to see it. You're just blind and you don't see the direction you're being pulled. Embrace the truth today. See clearly what John is warning against today. If hate is blind, blindly and dangerously living in the darkness, then love is confidently and safely walking in the light. Notice what he says in verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Oh, the contrast between no control and all of the danger versus the freedom and safety of walking in the light with Christ. Those who obediently keep the commandment of Christ to love one another are safe from stumbling because they are with Him in the light. There's no fear of danger. And in the light, the truth of God's Word, His commandments, they guide us as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We know exactly where we're going. We know exactly what we're supposed to do. We see it so clearly because of Christ. John makes one more bold claim regarding the nature of this hate and love. He says in verse 8 that this is true in Him, that is in Jesus, as in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Oh, there is great hope in this promise. The darkness is passing away. John is assured of this. And the true light is shining. We're reminded here that darkness cannot overcome light. Light will always overcome the darkness. And I know it may not seem like that sometimes in our experienced life, but the assurance we have of God's Word 
is this very thing. In fact, it says this of Jesus in John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And if I could add in an editorial note, it never will. It never will. We're reminded that because of Jesus, the true light of the world, the, the problem of darkness will ultimately be dealt with. Darkness is passing away, and soon He alone will be the light. Here's what it says in Revelation. We can't get away from John. He's writing all of these things for us. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, um, I'll use John's word, beloved, the people that I love. That is my hope. The Lamb will be the light. The darkness is passing away and will pass away. Is that your hope? Is your hope in Christ? The light that came into the world and the darkness cannot overcome it. Is that your hope? Today is the light of God's word calling you out of darkness. Maybe for the first time in a long time, you can see that your sin and maybe it is hate it's bitterness towards somebody maybe it's some other habitual sin some other thing you're struggling with but you can see for the first time in a long time that it has blinded you and it has been leading you towards destruction and damnation if God is graciously showing you the error of your ways and calling you into the light today, then do not ignore him. Do not resist the Spirit's conviction. Do not quench it. Step into the light. Make confession. Rid yourself of the poison. For the Christian... This is John's intended audience. We who occupy these pews today and week after week is who John is writing this section to. Do you love or do you hate? How are we to love one another? What does that look like? I want to start with two examples that we find in John's letter. 
You can turn there if you want. Chapter 3, they're going to be on the screen behind me as well. Chapter 3, verse 11, John gives these examples of what love looks like, what hate looks like, so that we can examine our lives. We're not going to go into significant detail because we'll get to these passages eventually, but here's what it says in 1 John 3, 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Here we go. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his own brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Let me ask you a few questions. Are you resentful of others' blessings? You have resentment in your heart because they have something you don't have. Maybe you look at their family and think, I wish I had that family. You look at their circumstances, I wish I had that. Are you resentful? Are you bitter towards another brother or sister because of something they said? Something that they did? Maybe something they didn't say? Or something that they didn't do. And there's bitterness. You avoid talking to or being around certain people in our church fellowship. They've rubbed you the wrong way. Do you shut other church members out refusing to use your gifts to serve them, to build them up. And you might argue back at me, yeah, yeah, there's some of those things, but that doesn't mean I hate them. Yes, it does. Because hate is what? It's the opposite of love, and none of those things are loving. Let's look at the next one. Jump down a few verses. 17. If anyone has the world's goods, John says, and he sees his brother in need, and he closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You see, love gives to meet the physical needs of others. Do you selfishly, hatefully consume your resources on you and leave no room to give to others in need? Love gives to meet the spiritual needs of others as well. Do you give of your, your time to serve others? Do you, do you give of your gifts to serve others? Do you realize that, that your lack of participation in, in gatherings and groups and studies and ministry, it prohibits you from being a blessing to other people. Do you approach ministry for what you can get out of it rather than what you can put into it, how you might love and serve other people? Because here, here's the argument that plays around in all of our brains. Because we think, well, I don't really want to go to that. I don't really need to go to that because I don't, I don't get anything out of it. 
Well, maybe it's not about you getting something out of it. Maybe it's about what you can give to it. Now, I'm not saying you have to do everything that we do. I don't do everything that we do as a church. But we do have to evaluate why we're not doing that thing. Is it out of, out of a selfish heart that just loves me and doesn't love others? Is that how I'm making my decisions? Or am I making it based upon my willingness to love other people? How about 1 Corinthians 13? I think if there's one passage that truly helps us to understand the nature of agape, it's 1 Corinthians 13. It begins with this argument, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and I have not love, I'm just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I had all prophetic power and understanding, all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith so as I can even remove a mountain, but I have not love, I am nothing. Let's jump back to what we just said. You can do all the ministries you want, and you can be at everything. But if you don't do it with love for other people, then it's nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And here we go. Love is patient and it is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love will continue. Now let's read back through that. Hate is impatient. Hate is unkind. Hate is envious and boastful. It's arrogant. It's rude. Hate insists on its own way. Hate is irritable. It is resentful of others. Hate rejoices in wrongdoing. Hate despises the truth. Hate does not bear all things. Hate does not believe all things and the best about another. Hate doesn't hope. It's devoid of it. One other category we can think about as we think about what love looks like is what we call the one another commands in the New Testament. All of those one another commands are really born out of this new commandment, this new old commandment, love one another. Well, what does love one another look like? It looks like all the other one another's. Love one another's, I think 14, at least 14 times in the New Testament, we find the command to love one another. Let me give you this list. Honor one another. Greet one another. Welcome one another. These are not things I'm making up. These are directives that we find in Scripture. Show hospitality to one another. Let me give you a couple ways we can focus on that. We've been having this conversation. Um, we have a lot of visitors come in here. 
a lot of people that you invite, neighbors, friends. One of the things we can do is start keeping the back row clear, meaning leave that open for visitors who come in maybe a little late. More of us can start parking on the grass, leaving some of the parking spaces so that we can show love and preference to one another. I'm not saying anybody's doing that out of selfishness. This is just something we've observed here lately. It's an issue, a way we can show hospitality uh, to one another, to those who we're inviting in and coming to visit with us. Have fellowship with one another. First John 1, 7. Agree with one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Live in harmony with one another. Multiple places in the New Testament. Be at peace with one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Comfort one another. Care for one another. Confess sins to one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Exhort one another. Instruct one another. Teach and admonish one another. Sing with one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Do good to one another. Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. Wait for one another. Be humble towards one another. Submit to one another. Speak the truth to one another. Do not speak against one another. Do not judge one another. Do not provoke one another. And do not envy one another. These define well what it means to love one another. And if we're violating them, it means we're expressing hate. And I realize this is tough. This is a lot to consider. It may be painful for you. My desire, the desire of our elders and leadership is that this church be a church that is easily identified as loving. We want to be a church that stands on truth. But if Jesus says, by this will all people know that you're really my disciples by the way you love one another, we certainly want to get that right. And that does begin with the way that we love each other. Love unites, hate divides. Do not allow yourself to be the ticking time bomb. that Satan wants to use to destroy this beautiful fellowship. And that is not an invitation for you to run away and blow up somewhere else. We love you too much for that to be the invitation. The invitation is that you would step into the light today and you would repent of your hate. Be obedient to Jesus' commands. To repent is to turn from it. It involves making confession. And say, God, here's what you say about this. I heard it today. And I'm going to say the same thing about it. 
It's not to define me. It's not to be a part of my life. I confess it. It's confessing it to God. It, it's confessing it to the other person and saying, listen, I have, I have had a bitterness towards you, and I'm confessing that today. And I've sought forgiveness. It, it's, it's seeking forgiveness from, from God and then asking that person to forgive you as well. Making the relationship right. And that it is doing the work that it takes to continue to put off the bitterness and to replace that bitterness with deeds of love by the power of the Holy Spirit. Love one another. Met of you. Every one of you. Love one another. Let's bow. Now is the perfect opportunity to make confession, to seek forgiveness, to step into the light, to begin ridding yourself of the hate and inviting the Spirit of God to produce the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and all the rest in your life. And I, I plead with you, do not ignore the conviction of the Spirit. Do not leave here with another layer of deception saying, it's okay, I can keep it under control. Because you can't. And you're not. So I plead with you today. you need to pray with somebody, I would invite you to the prayer room. It's to my right, your left. We'd love to encourage you, help you. The response invitation is open.